Hello and welcome to the Ganatantra podcast. I am Sariyona Rajan and I am Alok Prasanna Kumar. And in this week's episode, which happens to be our one-year anniversary episode, congratulations! Thank you, and same to you. It's been oh, great partnering you. with you on this podcast. Same here. Uh, we are going to talk about police reforms. There's no connection. We must warn you between the anniversary episode and the selection of topic. Just happens it to just be happens that to be. Yes. we think it's important to discuss police reform in the context of all of the conversations that have been happening. I think just to sort of set the tone for this episode and this is something we hope to keep coming back to over the course of this podcast in season 3 maybe even in later seasons um the idea of and the question of the police as an institution uh part of why we want to discuss it right now in this series around institutions uh, is in the context of current events it's somehow linked we can't delink yeah. it uh, there are the protests at uh, in, the, in the context of uttar pradesh where the police role is not really clear but yet clear yeah. uh, in terms of uh, what has happened at amu and all of uttar pradesh yeah. there's also a not so recent event i think it happened late 2019 mm-hmm. in the context of andhra pradesh where four accused rapists were allegedly encountered killed yeah because of uh, very in a sense in a sense this these were the four men who were accused of uh, having committed sexual assault and murdered uh, one uh, a lady at a late at night and the police seem to have uh, basically uh, alleged that they were killed them in an encounter death but pretty much everyone seems to suggest think that they were just killed in cold blood oh, just yeah. to uh, assuage public opinion yes and uh, so and there was quite a lot of conversation around that there was both cheering and criticism of the whole th- of the whole event and how yeah. it unraveled that and i think the other which has been a more ongoing and a subtler conversation is uh, what has been talked about in the context of police surveillance mm. and facial recognition which speaks to both the the incidents in uttar pradesh in fact protests all over the country in the context of the caa i uh, have had police go around taking pictures of protesters building databases of mm-hmm. citizens and allegedly i guess bad people mm-hmm. um and this is something that also speaks to the way the police operate the framework within the legal framework and the legal political framework within the, which they operate and how to think about police reform yeah. so this is something over the next 30 odd minutes we hope to unravel must scratch the surface yeah, i guess we we only sort of scratch the surface for the simple reason that It's a conversation that I think this country has been having for the last seventy years. Yep. Uh, it's 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 now officially seventy years since we're a republic because by the time this episode would have gone out, we'd have celebrated the seventieth Republic Day. So happy seventieth Republic happy 70th Day! Happy seventieth Republic Day to everyone. Uh, but this is also something that um, it's, it's a puzzle and a paradox in one sense that, in as much as we gave ourselves a very liberal constitution with provisions relating to fundamental rights. with provisions that sort of talk about how india will be a very different country from where, what it how it was governed yet the fundamental underlying architecture on the basis of which india would be governed remained the same the judiciary save for the fact that the lower judiciary was separated from the executive government remained more or less the same the police barely changed uh, and i'm saying i i mean in just not just in terms of like Uh, how the supreme court is funded and so on and so forth but also the personnel who went on to become supreme court judges were drawn from the people who had been appointed by the colonial government to serve as high court judges likewise the police likewise the ias in fact there is a speech by uh, sardar patel who and this was an issue raised in the constituent assembly by the way uh, there was a people who said why should we continue with this horrible ias which has always oppressed us which has always served the needs of its 
master whoever it is but sardar patel seems to have had a much more pragmatic you could say approach to it to say that look you can it's very wonderful to have an indian union but we're not going to be able to keep this country together if we don't have the kind of uh, architecture that the ias provides um you can give yourselves whatever constitution you want but if you don't have the bones with to keep, to keep it together it will fall apart and he makes a very strong defense of the ias in the constituent assembly debates uh which is another you know, the i mean people still don't uh, associate the ics with certain things and they were able to do it um but the time has supposed I, i suppose has come to ask some more deeper and fundamental questions about these institutions we have done an episode on the judiciary and some of the judiciary's problems you could say are more recent relatively that you had an appointment process that the judiciary had created for itself which has led to the certain kind of pathologies but with the police it would be hard pressed to say that the police of today it would be unrecognizable to um, a british colonial bureaucrat of the 1920s or the 30s for one the indian police would be wearing the same colors khaki uh they would be wielding more or less the same weapons uh your 303s and your lathis and i mean everybody's favorite the lathis but more importantly their methods their approach their training would all be geared towards protecting the government rather than upholding law and order to the benefit of society and citizens and what would possibly puzzle someone from 1930s would be you've given yourself this nice great constitution which was unimaginable everything else seems to have changed why is the police what it is and this is where i think we sort of need to and we have spoken about this in other podcasts and other episodes the police has remained a colonial relic in that sense not because you know despite the best efforts of large numbers of people who try and reform it but because there is little or no serious attempt at reforming the police you've had we've had specific measures i think um that uh, were undertaken you had the supreme court pass directions in the prakash singh case but most of those have been such piecemeal and small efforts that they've made no real impact yeah and the number i mean i suppose just this episode i think we will be consumed if we just have to list out the problems mm-hmm. with the police in the terms of way they structured the way they function the way they recruit the way they trained mm-hmm. and the kind of incentives that they respond to yeah i think there's you're absolutely right in that reform has uh, has largely tackled questions piecemeal and the ideas of systemic police reform um and then are not necessarily the way in which reform is even imagined yeah. and i think to your point of why the police is the way it is uh, also has to do with the overlaying of indian social structures on this colonial institution yeah. so foreign institution that imagines itself as a dominant force or a hegemon or a powerful force over its citizenry you overlay that with caste structures and that also is problematic in how it operates and unfolds in india i mean just to give you an example Many years ago, I'd gone for my passport verification to the police station, and uh, in, you know, I was then a second year or third year law student, and still a little bit terrified, <laughs> not yet, uh, not hardened by the the travails of law school, I suppose, and uh, and some document was verified by a senior police officer, who, thanks to privilege, yes. uh, was a friend of a uh, was the parent of a classmate. and uh, you know as soon as the the 
policeman encountered the page where this gentleman had signed immediately the feet which were on the table <laughs> came down he started addressing me as madam and <laughs> while i was just barely an adult uh-huh. uh, he addressed my even younger brother as sir <laughs> and then we were coke was f- like not coke but Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> we were made to drink one and I still remember that taste because it tasted not just of Coca-Cola but I think of some kind of privilege. privilege. So uh Coke, so the I th- taste of privilege. <laughs> yes, so I th- <laughs> uh yeah, so I think that the idea of police as an institution that is set apart from the state there is an imagination that it's a neutral force that works for the state mm-hmm. but yet at the same time it's very much linked to social structures and how they operate. Yeah. Now another sort of attendant point around that is the idea that police recruitment often and you talked about it yeah. is the is related to political patronage. Yeah. So political parties that come to power, you know, will have a recruitment process to reward thank their voters yeah. or as an inducement for a vote in the future yeah. so police recruitment processes and there's some literature around this have been used literature in a different context have been used as ways to uh, to to as political patronage and that is also problematic in the way that it um, it makes the police force operate and i think jeels verniers had Gilles, a piece yes. on thakurwad yes. and the rise of the thakurs in the up police force right, right. and the way that is manifesting in the context of the current political climate yes, yes. as also in the up elections a couple of years ago and the 2019 yeah. parliamentary elections so that to think of the police force as abstracted from the social political context is actually not true because in very real ways it's connected to both how the electoral process works and that's significant mm-hmm. as well as the fact that it's entrenched in a local social structure yeah and that that's of course not even going into the question of vacancies i mean before we go into the question of vacancies and how unfilled police positions are the fact is that recruitment is not just a let's try and fill these posts recruitment is a who do i favor how and in what manner it's totally a patronage it is totally a patronage thing and very few states have even made an attempt at diversifying the police force sufficiently i mean we had the fantastic um, india justice uh, report which was funded by tata trust and worked on by a number of organizations including dakshin full disclosure vidhi um and what was the numbers make for very interesting reading because although states have uh, quotas you find that almost no state except maybe gujarat and uh, kerala and karnataka uh, actually have fulfilled their quota of uh, officers for sc and st positions or for that matter the obc officers where it's uh, available and women form a vanishingly small percentage of the overall police force in the country um this this sort of tells you and that given that they're not able to meet the dependent quota it is being drawn from a very narrow social class and one which fails to have the values of the society at large on in both directions it uh, fails to perhaps reflect the values of the aspirational middle class in one sense and also protect the uh, values of the underprivileged group which are seeking to uh, claim for their rights so you will find that i guess and enough number of people have already pointed this out a certain kind of casteism and a certain kind of islamophobia is almost built into the dna of the police and that sort of makes for i think the dystopic reality that we find ourselves in we've had recently two police two two sorry two people's tribunals uh, which have inquired into and gone in depth into the kinds of allegations against the new people police and 
uh, here in Karnataka against the Mangaluru police with regard to the shooting deaths of uh, two alleged protesters. And the findings that they sort of make will, will not surprise anyone who has read any inquiry report in the last 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, the kind of, the, the, the way the police recruits, the kind of approach, the kind of attitudes in life, I think all of that have not fundamentally changed in uh, any real way. And that gives us a police which sort of uh, has this particular approach and ha follows these certain kinds of uh, practices. Uh, for in a lot of, I don't think there's any book better than Vibhuti Narayan Rai's Curfew in the City to read about how this actually works. I mean, there are a lot of fantastic academic works, not to dismiss any one of them. But this is a loosely fictionalized version of what happens when a city is under curfew. And Vibhuti Narayan Rai was a police officer in Gujarat during some of its worst years of communal rioting. And he sort of talks about how the police treat certain communities as opposed to the others. And like, and it's not just that it's told from the point of view of the police or the state or any one particular person. It's told from multiple points of view. And it's sort of, and he's somebody who has written quite extensively about uh, all of these issues and how uh, it's in a terrible shape. So I think that it's it's been a long-standing problem of who gets to be in the police. Let's and again, just to clarify, we're not talking about like the IPS level officers. Yeah, we're not talking. We're not talking. Yeah, we're talking about the constabulary. We're talking about the rank and file of uh, police who are supposed to be you know drawn from the community, but they're not, and that has to do with the very colonial nature of the force, which was never supposed to be drawn from the community. It was supposed to be the people who will help the regime uh, perpetuate itself. Absolutely, and I think. It, this is not to take away from the fact and we can arguably say that which is from the fact that there are very real problems that the police as a force as an institution faces right there are genuine problems of overburdening police people in the sense that there's too much work and too little time too few people recruitments don't happen in time uh, the India Justice Report did have some statistics on uh, sort of deficits yes deficits or gaps in the number of police uh, personnel yeah. personnel across states yeah. and so this as a problem there's also a problem of um, like we said overburdening for uh, for beat constables across um, across contexts now to think about reform as like a sort of metric based approach to um, to reform is also one of the problems that has plagued the attempt at police reform, which is that you focused on, let's say, reducing the number of working hours by real allocating the beat system, yeah. right? Or, you know, soft skills training, none of which is unimportant in itself. Mm. But when thought of as only that is a problem. Yeah. So to say that the root of the problem in the way the police interact with women is not to say, let's do soft skills training. And is not going to be addressed by soft skills training because it's rooted in the patriarchy. It's rooted in a certain misogyny. Yeah. It's rooted in, you know, the hatred of women, uh, which necessarily cannot be addressed by, I don't know, like soft skills training. Yeah. And all the efforts at reform so far have not really taken into account this fundamental uh, feature of the uh, police in terms of what, like the underlying ways in which they function and the way in which they work. And... Too much has been focused at the top echelons of the organization. Even the Supreme Court's directions in the Prakashan case, they go nowhere. And they have basically been ignored for the last better part of the last two decades. This came out in 2006. And uh, they've pretty much been ignored. I don't think most states have uh, 
complied in any real way with the seven or eight directions that the uh, Supreme Court has uh, issued. And it's it sort of tells you that um, you have a larger issue that is not being addressed. There's, the history behind this is also kind of in, in, instructive because when the British, the British are effectively the fathers of the modern Indian police system, when they set up the Indian police, um, they drew not from the Metropolitan Police of London. They were drawing from the uh, Irish uh, constabulary that they had established, which was, again, Ireland, Ireland was a colony. And they followed that particular model in setting up uh, the police in India. It was expressly to do so. There was supposed to be a militarized wing to the police, which would, say, uh, address any large-scale outbreaks of violence. So you see that every state has its own armed police force, which is the state reserves which are called up in the in the context of any uh, violent disturbances and so on. But we have discussed this issue uh, in the past also. There is a central armed police force. We are not per, per se talking about them. So they're, they're more expressly militarized. They're expressly paramilitaries. They're supposed to work closely. They're under the command of the military. But even there, there's it's a very strange kind of casteism which works there. Um, and uh, it's it's something worth highlighting because it's an issue that has bubbled up to the top in the last couple of years. It has not really hit national headlines, but it is something that has been a constant source of friction, even within the police. You do have uh, so while while for example something and just to take a one of the seven armed uh, central armed police forces, say the CRPF for instance, never promotes the direct recruitees of the CRPF to the top posts. It's always an IPS officer. And keep in mind, the CRPF doesn't do the kind of law and order functions that, say, Bangalore police does or Delhi police does. The CRPF is probably fighting some insurgency in some jungle or is deployed somewhere in a paramilitary function. But uh, it's very rare for, and this is the common complaint made, that it's very rare for the uh, IPS officer who's appointed as the head to actually be seen in on the front lines of everything, which is very strange because... In the military, you can never become a general just by having been part of the staff. You have to have had some sort of combat and other experience or at least some level of frontline experience. So parachuting of leadership is a yes. severe problem. It's a, it's a severe problem and it has impacts on morale. And it's it's almost as if we can't risk any of you getting up to the higher thing because you might start getting ideas. It, 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 it is never, there's never, of course, there's a very strong lobby among IPS officers who have ensured that there has been almost no promotions up the ladder. But even within the police itself, this kind of caste is, it's not as if in the regular police, that's only IPS officers manage, manage a certain kind of post. They do yes. work up the ranks. Yes, but, but when it comes to significant the, bias towards there's a significant bias towards people who got, uh, and it's similar in the judiciary too, right? Exactly. It, there are few and they're getting few, fewer and far, further between yeah. as we discussed in the episode with Aparna, yeah. where people don't rise through the ranks and yeah. you're in fact selected and work through a elite privileged pool primarily mm. belonging to certain castes certain dispositions so exactly. i think there's uh, this is an endemic problem it and it touches all aspects of the law and justice system yeah. in that you imagine the leadership as parachuted yeah, yeah. and uh, that also sort of has given rise to resentments you will find these things being coming up to the fore every once in a while so what we ha what we are left with is essentially a police force that is of course terribly overworked because not enough vacancies are filled. Terribly unrepresentative because it effectively represents the 
views of that particular government as opposed to the state or the constitution or whoever whichever particular power group has captured power at that point of time is particularly ill equipped to tackle the kind of challenges of a country which is this you know uh, diverse this hierarchical and with this history of violence and is asked to sort of work in an environment where they have little or no leeway in being able to create their own solutions for problems and the current context of sort of big events that are occurring yeah uh, further confuse you know muddle the way in which the police have to engage with the citizens so in terms of uh, let's say technology as a big force yeah. uh, the, the traditional sort of procedural manual around criminal uh, law hmm. is the criminal procedure code which was last revised 74 74 yeah. right so uh, you are thinking about a context which is completely different like it's 40 years now yeah. and uh, to think that not that this the CRPC is is a fine legislation which does account for very many of the problems that occur today uh, but the ways in which they manifest have changed technology is playing a big role like crime on social like you know harassment bullying all of those problems that occur on the on social media uh, even the movement of financial fraud to a digital ecosystem yeah. are all problems that occur which do not necessarily uh, engage or uh, or sort of move at a pace that the police system is not able to keep pace with so yeah. uh, I, in fact i you know this was i think in 2009 hmm. Uh, a decade ago aging myself here mm-hmm. uh, but this was the early days of Twitter and uh, obviously I had said something and I shouldn't blame myself but I had said something which had attracted the attention of the few trolls that existed then uh-huh. so I had marched into a police station drunk on my privileged coke <laughs> <laughs> I marched into the police station and said uh, you know uh this is unacceptable this is happening and the first question was of course madam what is twitter <laughs> and uh, then why are you getting harassed and stop posting so i think to think about it as uh as also you know to your point of the hiring process yeah. the way in which training occurs the way in which it it is even imagined hmm. uh cannot or doesn't equip it to deal with some of the current context yeah and i suppose at least now we should be grateful that some police forces are themselves on twitter uh, how, how good they are uh, how much good they are doing is a different matter but some of them are now on twitter and do respond occasionally uh, to uh, certain uh, issues uh, that's pretty much what we had and uh, while we can't say that we have a clearly well drawn out and complete idea for reform uh, for uh, the in- police institutions in this country we sort of wanted to use this to highlight some of the difficulties when someone says criminalize this or criminalize that what you are essentially asking the state to do is to use a very rusted and blunt weapon to address a very small uh, uh, to have a very to to you know address a very fine kind of a problem it's it's a bit like if i have to get really gross about this it's like using a rusted old chainsaw to conduct brain surgery you're going to get the results <laughs> that happens when you use a rusted old chainsaw to con- uh, to conduct brain surgery so which is why i think uh conversations about police reform can't just stop and start at the top they can't just stop and start at any one particular point as a response to any one particular event and the events that we started this episode with when we talked about the quote unquote encounter killings we talked about the police brutality in uttar pradesh uh, and the surveillance yeah. all of these come out of a certain kind of pathology that keeps repeating itself 
I agree and also I mean I think this point was also earlier discussed which is the idea that reform reform needs to be systemic yeah. it has to tackle multiple leverage points for change yeah. uh, and I think one of the other things to always keep in mind and I come from a police family in that my grandfather was a policeman um very 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 long ago mm-hmm. uh but I as his granddaughter thought of him as a very nice man mm-hmm. and to be able to humanize the police force in the way that it speaks to the concerns of citizens um not that every policeman should be somebody's grandfather yeah. I and mean, that's like no but I think you know to be able to think of it as a human force mm. where there is a person behind it who is not devoid or not uh, abstracted from the structures within which they operate be it caste gender privilege um, or even the colonial nature of the institution itself i think that is important to keep in mind in thinking about reform so it has right. to be systemic it has to be whole holistic it has to think about multiple leverage points you have to solve for overworked police persons as much as you have to solve for uh, broader questions of state accountability around the police force so i think yeah. um, being comprehensive and thoughtful is critical critical so hopefully we will carry this conversation forward with perhaps maybe somebody from the police itself i definitely think we should have somebody from yeah. the police and perhaps maybe somebody who has researched india's police forces in uh, some more detail and has written the books on it maybe we should have them in the same room yes <laughs> uh, because this is exactly a tv studio format <laughs> okay uh, that sort sort of brings us to the conclusion of what we want to discuss today about police reforms in india uh, thank you all for tuning in thank you all for joining us this last one year it's been an incredible journey for us uh, we have gone from podcast newbies to having recorded over nearly 50 episodes of the ganatantra podcast uh, we'd like to also thank uh, ivm podcast and our fantastic producers abbas rutika and everyone else also special special thanks to resonance studios uh, we made this our home over the last year and spent a lot of time yes. so thanks to ram bruce and everybody else that's a part of the team here Absolutely. we really enjoyed recording here yes and hope to do more here as well yeah <laughs> oh man this sounds like an award speech <laughs> it, it is because we've completed one year in podcasting yeah. uh, and it 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 sort of has taught us a lot and i do think just doing this particular podcast the fantastic guests that we have had you know every one of them uh they have it's uh, been a lesson in itself it's been a lesson in of itself and i think um, i don't think we imagined that we would get all the way to one year and i'm glad that we have and uh, thank you all once again for uh, tuning in special thanks to tejas i know you're working on this yes but for making it sound so good absolutely and uh, uh, we are you're all invited to please do send us your feedback see do tell us what you think about our podcast we are available on uh, twitter as ganatantra p and we also have a facebook page called ganatantra podcast and i think we ganatantra podcast on at gmail at gmail if you want to yeah, send us if you an want email. to send us an email uh, we'd love to hear from you what do you think has worked for us in the last one year what do you think hasn't what do you think we should do more of and possibly what do you think less of and hopefully the less of is not more episodes on of the podcast <laughs> well anyway thank you all for once again for tuning into this uh, special episode uh, we'll be back with more next week Thank you very much. <laughs>